Hello, what's a PhD? Sounds like something too heavenly and beyond rich. What does PhD mean to me? Honestly, it means that you're really stubborn and can handle a big data set. I think what the PhD means to me、uh, is the opportunity to、uh, practice and get experience in being an investigator. So to me, it's helped me build my career and build my knowledge of science. What does the PhD mean to me? First of all, it means I get to call myself a doctor when I want to. Second, it means that I went through something that no one else did before. PhD is the best learning opportunities I've ever provided. It's not a process to limit your possibilities in the future. It should take it as an opportunity to explore the infinite possibilities for you to be in the future. What does a PhD mean to you? A researching process, not only for science. But researching process of like my own personality, my own mission, myself. PhDs are much more than researchers; they have their passion as well as desperation. Perhaps you are just one of them, struggling with research and life goals. This podcast series is therefore really for you and for those who wish to know you more. Now. Welcome to the Passionate PhDs podcast, and explore how PhDs have found their passion, career, and themselves. Hello, welcome to the Passionate PhDs podcast. This is Yilis. Today we have invited Amanda Grenell. She is a chemist and a professional science writer. She is also one of the admins of two science communication blogs, Science Buffs and Chembytes. She is also selected as one of the Mass Media Fellows for the American Association for the Advancement of Science this year. Today, we will learn about her transition from a chemist to a science writer, and also her exciting work in the Mass Media Fellowship. So, here we go. Amanda, thanks for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We are really excited to have you to be here too. So, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So my name's Amanda, and I'm a really big nerd. <laughs> Always really enjoyed science. I observed the natural world around me since I was a little kid. I really loved looking at the fish that my dad would catch and like having him. Open them up, and I'd look at their guts and hold like the little fish heart in my hand. And so I pursued science, and I went to Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington, for my undergrad, where I did both chemistry and physics.、Wow. And then I went to University of Colorado Boulder.、Mm. For my PhD in chemistry,、mm-hmm. and I, I did physical chemistry, interdisciplinary between physics and chemistry. Used a lot of physics principles to study chemical problems.、Ah. And while I was in grad school, I got involved with science writing, <laughs> with the blog Science Buffs,、mm. and learned about this whole big community <laughs> out there. And I was way more excited about telling people. 
about science and nerding out about science with other people than <laughs> studying my own science. I see from your Twitter, you describe yourself as a fisher woman. Yeah, I grew up with a family that had an annual fishing trip. Oh. Um, my grandparents would come out, and we would go camp on the Columbia River oh. for about a, a week, oh. and my dad and grandparents would fish for walleye and I when I was really little I kind of like went on the boat for half a day and then got bored but then when I moved to Colorado actually I started fly fishing fishing is a good way to to get outdoors how did fishing get you into chemistry and physics yeah well I always think about this when I was applying to grad schools my curiosity with the natural world definitely got me into science but I always wondered why I didn't do biology yeah because I was really into anatomy um, looking looking into what a fish was eating and just really interested in, in what was what was going on inside those animals. But looking back, I realized that when I was maybe like 14, mm-hmm. I found a book in the library that was really unlike any other book I had read before mm-hmm. uh, because it told the story of science and it was like telling a story, a fictional novel that I would read, but it was telling a story about the natural world that I was super curious about. And it happened to be a book about the elements. And so I got super into the elements. Chemistry. And chemistry, yeah. So the periodic table of the elements and like learning about different chemicals, different materials, properties, and all these really fun stories. Mm. Um, it's a it's a cool book by actually a very famous British science writer named Philip Ball. Oh. Yeah, so I read that book and I got really into chemistry and I had a really great chemistry teacher in high school. Oh. And so I just, in college, I signed up for, for honors chemistry the first semester mm. and had some really amazing professors. Uh, mm. And I was just like, this is it. I'm doing chemistry. This thing is awesome. <laughs> I see. Because I see from your publications, I guess your chemistry PhD study is something about quantum dots. Yeah, yeah. So it is not related to fishing. No, not at all. Pretty sure that I can't think of a connection. <laughs> Will you tell us a little bit more about your PhD study then? Yeah, yeah. So like you said, I studied a material that's known sometimes as quantum dots. Mm. Um, or we, we didn't have dot-shaped particles all the time. We had rod-shaped particles. So oh. we would just say nanoparticles. Mm-hmm. But these are materials that are really interesting. Uh, first of all, because they're tiny. And I find that really cool. Mm. So they're nanometers in length. Mm and width. Mm. And so uh, because they're so small, Mm -hmm. their materials properties, like the wavelength of light that they absorb, Mm -hmm. for example, those properties change when you change their size and you change their shape. Mm. And that doesn't usually happen with materials that are bigger. Mm. So Mm. we were studying them because because they have these tunable properties. Mm. And that that's a pretty cool like that's why a lot of people study them Mm -hmm. is to to understand the relationship between the structure of a material and the function of that material. And once you understand that, then you can tailor your material for a specific purpose. Mm, I see. So what do you enjoy most in during your PhD study? Um, one of the things I enjoyed a lot was when I told people what I did. Uh-huh. So if like a, a non-scientist person would ask me what I'm studying, 
I would say that I'm, I'm learning how to turn sunlight into fuel for your car. And people would always be like, what? Like, that's so cool. I didn't know that was possible. How does that work? Um, and so I always really enjoyed telling people about what I did because that aspect of it is very, very applicable. Um, but then like, once you get into the details, Mm. I'm like, it was, it was a little harder to explain, but I I eventually came up with a good explanation of, of that, like these nanoparticles or quantum dots that we use are kind of like tiny, tiny little solar panels Mm. and they absorb sunlight and convert the sunlight's energy Mm. into energy that can be used to make a chemical bond. And that chemical bond is what the fuel is. So we would make hydrogen gas Mm. and that's just one one bond Mm. between two hydrogen atoms. But so I really enjoyed explaining the very, very basics and the reaction that I got from people just being like, wow, that's amazing. The other favorite part was the people that I worked with. Mm. Um, I had some really great people in my lab and really great people in my year in the chemistry department. And also, once I started working with science buffs, some really amazing people Uh, from other departments that I became friends with. And so for me, uh, grad school was a lot about the relationships that I built with people. Yeah, and like working through hard problems, whether you're in the same class together and like you think this assignment is impossible and you stay up till two in the morning working on it together (laughs) and get really loopy and make bad jokes. (laughs) Like that's a good way to get to know people and build some strong relationships. Or like in the lab, you know, we're all trying to work together to to solve a problem and move our research forward. I have one lab mate in particular who uh, came into the program a couple years after me. I gave a lab meeting at the beginning of the semester that he got there. Mm. And I had kind of got to this point in my research where I was like, there's a problem and I am not sure what to do about it yet. Mm. And he was able to jump in there and help me together we like figured out the solution to this problem Mm -hmm. and that kind of like exploded into a whole bunch of studies that that he did Mm. and it helped me with like my specific problem Mm. so it is the relationship with people or because you can work with people or connect with more people that gets you to be a science writer or what is the spark that get you into the science writing career Mm. i mean i think that you can work with people in in many different capacities, right? Like I really enjoyed working with people Mm. on the science. I, one of the things, like I, I wanted to do something outside the lab. It took me a while to like figure out what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, I, I I start, I got involved in the science policy group a little bit. That was okay, but I I realized like politics and policy wasn't super exciting to me, Mm -hmm. but I went to a talk uh, in like a a lecture series that people were invited to. And I went to a talk from a science writer, and while I was there, I met someone who was a part of Science Buffs, and she was like, hey, if you're interested, you should come to our meeting, and so I did later. Mm -hmm. I I think that I just really enjoyed how passionate, it was all women at the time, how Mm -hmm. passionate these women were about getting the science out there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of science that gets made that doesn't get news coverage. Yes. Uh... And like the goal of Science Buffs was to 
look at the science coming out of the university CU Boulder mm. and cover cover that stuff that was really exciting mm. but maybe wasn't getting a lot of traction in the news. Mm. All of us grad students had this experience where our parents or grandparents would ask us what we're doing and you can say, you know, I'm learning how to take sunlight and make fuels from it, but that was about as far as you could go. Yeah. I think that the the goal of the of the blog was to to take people's science and make it accessible to anyone. Mm. And so that's what got me really excited about it, that we were able to work with grad students on campus mm. and take their science and repackage it in a way that their families could read. Yes. And so I really, really enjoyed that part. I really love kind of nerding out with other, <laughs> other grad students about the work that they do. Like when I would go interview people mm. about their science, mm. I just love talking with them. Mm. Yeah. And then I would write up a piece and they would just have really warm feedback and, and be grateful that that someone was interested enough to write up something about their work that anyone could access. Mm. So it is science buffs that get you into considering a career in science, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was my first real science writing experience. The spark. Yeah, yeah. All, all the writing I'd done before that was pretty academic. Mm. So when did you join science buffs then? Is this in the early stage of PhD or near the end? It was... Middle-ish, I think. So it is already in the middle of the PhD study that you start to figure out your career path. Oh yeah, definitely. Have you ever considered to be academic researchers while you were doing your PhD? I did not. <laughs> I I went into grad school pretty much knowing that I didn't want to be a professor. Mm. The job just never appealed to me. I, okay. I like. I mean, I kind of considered it, but it never was something that was like, yeah, I really want to do that. Mm. Like, I don't. It just. Uh, I had a lot of great mentors and I had a lot of great teachers, mm. but but I just I didn't I didn't really want to do what they did. But I I realize now that I really love teaching people about science communication, mm. but I, I want to become more knowledgeable beyond just how to write well mm. for a general audience about science. So is learning about the broader aspect of science, I guess. Yeah. So I yeah I went into grad school thinking I don't want to be an academic. Mm. But I do like research and I love science mm. and I just, I want to keep going with this thing mm. and I have the opportunity. So I did, I had done some research in undergrad and I was liking it. And so I wanted to keep going and really like see if I, if research was a path that I wanted to take mm. and like do uh, private sector research. Mm. So like that was kind of my thought, but it wasn't like a concrete Yes, this is what I want to do, which is good because I'm not sure I would have looked to science communication if I wasn't open to it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I also wanted to say too that people are talking about how, you know, the PhD shouldn't only prepare you for academia. Mm. You, you know, uh, there are all these other careers out there that a PhD can be beneficial for, mm. um, even though it's not right now, it's like not really specifically designed for anything but becoming a professor. Mm. And so I know there are conversations out there about kind of changing the way PhDs are done a little bit to to be open to a broader landscape of career paths. Mm. So in speaking of that, what do you think how PhD has helped you to equip yourself as a science writer? Yeah, well, I think that I have this really great base of knowledge in physics and chemistry, mm -hmm. as well as just the scientific process and how research works and how the publishing process works. Mm. And so 
coming with with all of that knowledge and then being a writer or a journalist mm -hmm. and reporting on science that's being published um, gives you a leg up in a couple of different ways, just like knowing how the process works, um, knowing what researchers are afraid of mm -hmm. and how their science might be communicated poorly or miscommunicated. Yeah. Um, and so just kind of already having those things in your mind mm -hmm. um, is really helpful. I don't necessarily report on physics and chemistry mm. or physics and chemistry that I'm not familiar with. I've done a lot of reporting this summer at the fellowship where I'm definitely very, very naive to the type of science that's going on. Mm. Um, but I, the principles are often the same, mm. um, you know, the scientific process. And the other thing, I think, just like a passion for, for science <laughs> and like nerding out about science. So it's like really easy to to chat up a researcher and talk to them for a really long time. Mm. Although better when you're recording your interviews yeah. to not talk for <laughs> too long, but um, when you're recording is just way too long. But, but it's just really, it's easy to talk to them. I feel like I have good in instincts for questions to mm. ask that kind of come mm. up during an interview mm. um, in addition to the ones that I've prepared. Mm. So... Yeah, yeah. I, I feel good, at least for me. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of really, really, really fantastic science journalists mm. who came up through journalism and don't have a background in science, mm. and they are excellent at what they do. Mm. But for me, I really appreciate like having a solid background in the topic I'm reporting on. I guess from what you are saying is the understanding of science research process, and get to know what scientists are doing and having more understanding to them. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, because I mean, I always want to get things right in my stories and I want yes. scientists that, that whose work I'm reporting on to be able to trust that, that I am trying my best to get it right and I'm not trying to sensationalize. So yeah, kind of having that empathy and a little camaraderie even that feeling like, like we're on the same side. Because you have gone through the process, so you understand them. Right, yeah. So do you face any difficulties or challenges during your transition from PhD researchers to science writers? Yeah, it's really hard to have gotten good at something and then be terrible at what you're trying to do <laughs> when you transition into a new career. Everything is just so new. <laughs> Everything's very new and you have to make a lot of decisions that you've never had to make before. Mm. And so you, at least for me, I tend to kind of antagonize over every decision. What decisions? Just like little ones, like I emailed a researcher to ask for an interview and they haven't gotten back to me. When should I email again? <laughs> There's little ones like that. And then there are bigger ones, mm. like what are the best practices? Mm. Um, you know, if I'm getting conflicting information, how do I present that? Mm. Uh, it's hard, like when I'm sitting there under a deadline, mm. uh, deciding like, how exactly do I want to say this? Because this is going to be what I turn in. <laughs> so actually, how do you learn about science writing? How do you self-teach yourself about science writing skills? And Yeah, that's a really good question. The first thing that I think anyone should do is identify the writers mm. that they admire and mm. read them and read more of them and like maybe figure out why they like those writers. Mm. So I have a bunch of writers and outlets that I really enjoy reading and try to read mm. a lot. And so I think I feel like that's the start. Like you have to like reading to enjoy writing. Yeah. And yeah, and I always felt like kind of just 
growing up, going through high school and college, writing for English classes mm. um, or other, other classes mm. where you have to write essays. Um, I always really, you know, enjoyed reading fiction, and I really enjoyed writing my papers. <laughs> I mean, if you have already enjoyed writing mm. in other parts of your life, then then science writing is definitely something that you can do. Mm. And then, I mean, apart from that, I think you just gotta practice.、Mm. So basically, you just read more about some good writings that you enjoy and practice. Yeah. Well, so I went to the conference put on by the National Association of Science Writers,、yeah, and so I, I met a couple of different people there、mm. uh, who need freelancers. And I kind of started out doing more like not actually doing journalism. So there's a difference between journalism and just、mm. science writing,、mm. um, because journalism is like very reported and very like you are an unbiased.、Mm. You know, reporter. That's just like you're reporting the facts.、Mm-hmm. Um, and then being a science writer, like you could be hired to do kind of like promotional writing for、um, a company or a lab or a university.、Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me, like both of those things、uh, hit the goal of communicating science,、mm-hmm. um, but they definitely have different practices. For example,、um, as a journalist,、mm. you never share an entire story with a source.、Mm. So, as much as a scientist wants to make sure that I got all the science right in my article,、yeah. I cannot send it to them to review before it's published. Okay, because、um, that's like that's a, a journalistic、yeah. um, kind of ethical, ethical problem、yeah. if you're sharing your story with your sources. Yes. Uh, but if you're like writing about someone's research for their university,、mm. they always share that with the researcher beforehand. Yeah, because we need to get the fact check. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because because the university like wants to make sure that everything's done right and it's done in the way that makes them happy.、Mm. So before the AAAS fellowship,、um, I was freelancing with、um, a national lab and a university.、Mm. Um, Where I would get assignments, so they'd be、mm. like, "Hey, we need you to write about this piece that's coming out,、mm. or we need to, or like this publication that's coming out,、mm. or we need you to write about just like this lab and what they do、mm. um, in general, even if they don't have a publication coming out."、Mm. I find it is very intriguing that you self-teach yourself about science writing. Some people will just go joining some groups or having some mentor maybe in that career, but you just self-teach yourself, but You're doing so great in the field. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I I got my feet wet at, in science buffs, right? And I had people, a whole group of people around me who had the same goals, and we're all working together、mm. to just like take those first steps and figure out like how to put together a piece, what what makes a good piece,、mm. like what words can't you use when you're communicating to the public,、mm. um, and like what are the common pitfalls that scientists. Fall into when they're trying to communicate,、mm-hmm. um, and so it was like a, just a lot of like being in a group like that and learning、uh, from various different sources.、Uh, we had like a, a mentor for that group who was a grant writer in the biology department, and so like he would do editing workshops with us and be like,、mm. "This sentence, I would like cut 18 of these words." <laughs> Be a lot of words, right? Because this is a really long sentence, and yeah, it doesn't need、yeah. to be that long,、yeah. right?、So、there, there aren't really hard and fast rules.、Mm. Um, I mean, there are grammar rules,、mm. but 
but besides that, it's kind of like there are these principles that you're trying to follow. Yeah, learning learning from your peers. Yeah, a lot of learning from your peers, learning from the people that you admire, right?、Mm. Those writers、mm. that you admire and that you read,、mm. um, seeing how they do it,、mm. and then I think going to a conference like the National Association of Science Writers Conference,、mm. I learned more about what the the career is like,、mm-hmm. and some about how to get good stories and find good stories or. How to pitch to、mm. a publication, and there's less about how to write well.、Mm. But I don't know; they're all just pros at that part. I think、mm. being involved in those atmosphere, I guess. Yeah, I just I admire a lot of the people that I met there. They're very prolific, and they just write so well. <laughs> Back to your mass media fellowship. I know it is very exciting. So want to hear about your exciting experience in there? Yeah, definitely. So the mass media fellowship,、um, like you said at the beginning, it's run by. I always get this wrong. <laughs> It's run by AAAS,、yes. which is the American Association for the Advancement of Science,、yes. which is the organization that publishes Science Magazine.、Mm. Yeah, so、um, uh, the fellowship is ten weeks long,、mm. and so I'm at a national outlet, PBS NewsHour,、mm-hmm. which does this one-hour news show、okay. and also has an online platform. That's what I've been mostly doing is like、uh. writing pieces for online.、Uh. So you basically do more about science news reporting in the PBS News Hour. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm reporting on science、uh, for online stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've written about either it's like this publication came out、mm-hmm. today or yesterday, or we'll find something that maybe didn't get as much coverage but is really interesting,、mm-hmm. and and we'll cover that like. A couple of weeks after a paper comes out or something,、mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, it's really it's interesting to me at PBS NewsHour. Our scope is just really broad, and we're hoping we'll appeal to a bunch of people. Be-、mm. So, what's your normal day will be like when you are in the PBS NewsHour? Yes, I ride my bike to the office, which is nice in the morning because it's all downhill, <laughs> and I get in and I usually get myself a cup of coffee right away. And then it depends on the day of the week. A lot of times, towards the end of the week, I'm looking for my next story,、mm. so I'll be browsing through、uh, Eureka Alert.、Mm. Is this system that science uses、yeah. to get news to journalists? So it has these press releases for science articles that will be coming out in the next week, and so I'll start going through those、mm. and pick a couple of them that I think are are interesting and like a good fit for the news hour,、mm-hmm. and then I'll pitch them to my editor.、Mm. Um, so I'll write up a couple of of lines of a pitch,、okay. then my editor will kind of go through those and kind of give me some feedback on on which ones he thinks are good.、Um, And like why we wouldn't do one over another one, and we usually come to an agreement about like which story I'm going to pursue.、Mm. So once I have that, I'm like, great! I read this paper、uh-huh. that I'm going to report on、uh-huh. and kind of figure out what the story is, like more the details. Like usually when I pitch the story, I kind of know what the research, like in broad strokes, what the researchers did、mm. and why it's important.、Mm. Like you need to know those two things、mm. before you pitch a story.、Mm. So in your pitch, you usually pinpoint the importance of the study and how it is relevant to. Readers. Yep. Yes. Definitely. Then I'll start contacting the scientists. On on every study, there's a researcher that is the corresponding author,、mm-hmm. and so I'll email them、uh, requesting an interview,、mm-hmm. and then I'll also start finding outside sources,、um, other scientists who are not involved in the research,、mm-hmm. who I could 
you and I'll start emailing them. And as I'm going through the paper mm-hmm. and waiting to hear back various sources, I will formulate my questions. Mm-hmm. So I'll figure out what I, what specifically mm-hmm. I need to ask mm-hmm. the, the researchers that I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like formulate what what this mm. story is gonna look like. Mm. So usually I'm requesting an interview for like the next day mm. or sometime in like the next two days, which is like maybe a little fast to people who aren't in the journalism world. Um, it was to me at first okay. to reach out to someone and be like, hey, can you talk to me? <laughs> like sometimes it's like, hey, can you talk to me today? Oh wow. That was actually my very first day at News Hour. Oh, wow. It was like, hey, my editor is like. There's a really big study coming out on Wednesday. Uh-huh. Do you want to cover it? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I reached out to the author of one of the authors of the study. There were 83 authors on the study, mm, so wow. I only reached out to one of them, one of the one of the two main mm-hmm. authors, and uh, asked if he had time to talk that day and he said yes Mm -hmm. and a couple hours later I uh, was interviewing him wow that was kind of a whirlwind one for me (laughs) we'll always record all my interviews which helps me um feel like I can have more of an organic conversation Mm -hmm. I don't have to be constantly taking notes Mm -hmm. and so then I have to go back and like listen through the recording and pick out some of the the really good things that they said Mm -hmm. you know as well as as the facts of of what they said the the quotes in your story Mm -hmm. are always what really livens it up and so I was like trying to find the best quotes uh that give the story the most color or explain something particularly well and then kind of like outline what the story is, try to like kind of get mm. the, the general flow of how the story is going to go mm. down and then just like sit there and write it, <laughs> which is the hardest part. But yeah, the hardest part, but will be the most satisfying part when you're done. Oh, yeah. When it's when you like have your draft done and then like it goes through a couple rounds of edits and you yes. have your this like final yeah, product. It's done. Yeah, that's great. So what do you think you learned most from the fellowship? Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, I was always amazed by how how quickly it seemed that like when I first got interested in science writing and science journalism, I could see how quickly the, Mm. the pace was like, you know, people will hear about something and report on it and put out a story like a day or two later. And I just couldn't imagine how that was possible. Now you are one of them. Yeah, I I actually am. (laughs) There are a couple pieces that I've turned around in like a day um, or so. And so now I kind of like understand a little bit more like when you, especially like the writing part, Mm. like it can get kind of formulaic, but Mm. the science is different every time. So Mm. it's really fun. Mm. So you, you kind of like when you're, when you're learning the information for the first time, your brain is already putting it together in the way that, that you would write it Mm. up. And then it's just kind of a matter of picking out, like when you want to include a quote, picking out something really cool and vibrant that someone said, Mm -hmm. that's the thing for me. Like sometimes my my brain gets too academic and I just like overthink what I'm trying to say mm. and having to turn something around more quickly um, just makes me be like, okay, just like, what are you trying to say? Just like write it down, just mm. get it out there. Mm. And for me at least, that, that works a lot better. So maybe actually that's probably the thing that I learned the most mm. that like not only am I capable of writing that quickly, but um, when I'm when I get out of my head mm. and, and really like stop thinking about all the really cool science details and like stop worrying about making sure I get everything right, mm. explain mm. what the scientists did and why it matters. 
Okay. So kind of you get the key to know what a science story have to have. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's there's a bit of a, a formula. Mm. I was actually talking to the AAAS fellow who was at NewsHour last year. Mm. She's a, a freelance science writer now. Mm. Something that's helped her a lot is focusing on one result. And then everything that you write about is supporting that one result. Mm, mm. So get the greatest impact. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's the biggest takeaway? And obviously, every scientific study has multiple different facets yeah. and multiple different results. But if you and I mean, as a scientist, you're always thinking about that too when you write up your your article. Like, you're deciding what to put in your abstract. Mm. Like, you're. you're out what the biggest takeaways are yeah the take-home message I guess yeah mm-hmm. yep exactly for me like that was really good advice because that helps me get away from these tangents because I'll always be like I'll be writing something and then I'll be like oh yeah and then they said this thing and so then I'll like start writing yeah. up a kind of a tangent of the research <laughs> that doesn't really support that like one main result mm-hmm. um, and sometimes those are okay to have in there Sometimes they're great, but sometimes they just, they're too much. Yeah, sometimes you'll be distracted. Yeah, exactly. You might lose your reader. Mm-hmm. So back to the career thing, what advice would you have for PhDs in pursuing their career? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of admitted already that I didn't start mm. looking all that early, but I think the earlier you start looking, the better. Mm-hmm. That's always great. Yeah. And... Um, so I encourage other people to do that for sure. Learn from my mistakes. But <laughs> gosh, I mean, I think being open to new things, trying new things is is really important. Um, I think for a lot of people, maybe you kind of get stuck in mm. in your lab and, and kind of thinking about your research all the time. Mm. Uh, but it's really, you know, it's important to have other things going on in your brain. Give your brain a break from trying to bang itself against that science problem that you're having. I think for anyone in any career path, it's like you just have to try different stuff um, that you might not really know what you like until, or what you dislike even, until you try it and you find out. Mm. So being more open and trying new things. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you get opportunities to do stuff, I kind of maybe said yes to too many things, but <laughs> I like I did science policy and then I did like science writing. And last year when I was finishing up my PhD, I was also helping plan a science communication conference that was happening for the first time in Colorado. Mm. Uh, and so I kind of just like said yes to a lot of things. Although saying yes to a lot of things keep you so busy, but it also opened up new opportunities for you. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the final thing is that you should just do you and you should do what you want. I think there can be some cultural pressures within academia, but just like, you know, knowing that other career paths are okay, like you don't have to be a professor and you don't have to practice science your whole life. Like you're not a failure if you choose other paths. Um, that's something that, that a lot of people who go into science communication have to reiterate because I never really think that I thought that was true, but I definitely had feelings around like my being like a failure if I don't keep pursuing actual science Um, and like what really is actual science, like what makes me a scientist, like all these sorts of kind of identity questions. I think you just got to do what makes you happy and like honestly the people who are worth your time are going to support you Mm, i like your words 
to be you, choose to be yourself. Yeah, but that takes a lot of honesty with yourself. Mm. Um, I think that we can trick ourselves into thinking we might want something because that's what's expected to us. And like, I'm definitely a people pleaser. Like I want to do things that make other people happy. So there has to be honesty with yourself. Mm. So it's kind of searching about our own self. What do we like? What do we want to do? What do we want to achieve? Right. Yeah. Before the end of the show, could you tell our listeners about what does PhD mean to you? What does the PhD mean to me? Yeah. First of all, it means I get to call myself a doctor when I want to. <laughs> uh, second, it means that I went through something that no one else did before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I set out to answer a question that no one else had answered. And in some small way, I did answer part of that question <laughs> maybe you make a huge discovery and that's amazing but most people they just like make this little tiny discovery but they're still contributing something yeah. brand new to the yeah. world that's also a discovery anyway mm-hmm. well thank you for joining me today great well thank you so much for chatting with me um and asking me my advice and stuff <laughs> thank hopefully you hopefully when i listen back i feel like i sound very wise you are <laughs> i hear many wise words from you good <laughs> thank you for sharing your experience and thoughts with me today. I really appreciate your great effort and initiative in transforming yourself as a science writer. And also thanks for sharing your experience in PBS NewsHour. I think many listeners may not have the chance to be a science news reporter, so it is really great to learn what a day is like to be a science yeah, reporter. Yeah, yeah, and like they can definitely get in touch with me to talk more about the fellowship. I'm definitely interested in getting more people excited about science journalism. Mm, thank you. Yeah, Thanks thank for joining you, me today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Peachling, the camera band for offering music for this podcast series. They produce music that people could get lost in. While we could get lost during our life journey, we might eventually find ourselves throughout the process. Hope you are one of the passionate people. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned to discover more passionate PhDs in the next episode.